0: Hi, I'm Susan Moore, Community Engagement Manager with IIBA.
1: And I'm Scott Bennett, Manager of Business Analysis with the International Institute of Business Analysis.
0: And this is Business Analysis Live.
1: Today we're talking about a topic that I'm sure many people have asked the question, are you missing a requirement? (laughs) Um, Missing requirements are important, and why is that, Susan? Why are missing requirements so important to us?
0: Oh, my gosh. Um, Well, let me just give you a quote from my friend Ryland Layton that I think might give us a clue. Um, Mm -hmm. So he is certified as both a project manager and a business analyst, and he always says in his webinars with us, if you read the project management body of knowledge, it will say that project failures are caused because of missed requirements. But if you look at what we say here at IIBA and the business analysis body of knowledge, we say that it's missing stakeholders that can lead to those missed requirements. (laughs) So it sounds like they're kind of passing the buck to business analysts, um, that, that we are the ones accountable for making sure that we always get those requirements.
1: And it does make sense in my experience in my career. Um, typically on large projects, I'm working hip to hip with a project manager. We're partners in crime, shoring up each other's uh, weaknesses. And it, it really is that project managers looking at the structure, making things are organized. How are we what, how are we managing the risks? Uh, whereas do it, working the business analysis side is really a, those stakeholders are key to everything right from the get-go. Um, That's right. Identifying who they are, Making sure you got them all, um, but not only that, understanding what their needs are. Right.
0: That's right, and and really, it is. So I I buy into that. Now I don't know if if PMI is really trying to pass the buck on this, but obviously having the right people at the table are going to be critical to making sure that you hear all of the different perspectives. So um, so it is it is a common. Reason for project failures, missing stakeholders. So I think today is is a really great topic because we can talk about well, how do you avoid that? <laughs> what impact does that have? And then you know, let's talk about how do you recover from that. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about some of the ways that you've used to avoid missing requirements.
1: Yeah. Um, so there are some techniques that I've learned over the years about how to engage the right people and, and, and make sure. So it all starts with stakeholder analysis, right? Who are the players that are impacted by this directly or maybe indirectly? You know, working on a project, maybe you're delivering something that's a sales functionality, but how does that impact your customer service, as an example? Those customer service people should be there to help understand what the common problems are. So understanding your stakeholders is the first most important thing. Um, But then when you get into the details and you're working out requirements, you're listing those requirements and you put them all together, a a common thing that I see as a challenge for people is how do you get approval on a set of requirements, particularly if you're working in a a planned approach where you're doing all the requirements up front and then you're moving on with the project. You can end up with a, a, a document that's you know, 20, 30 pages long, and you throw it back to a stakeholder and say, tell me if there's anything missing. (laughs) Um, That's really an ineffective approach. So what I like to do is use something called a structured walkthrough. Mm -hmm. And what that is, is getting all the stakeholders together, and it does take time, but setting up the expectations, you might give them a week or two to say, here's the requirements document. I need you to read through the whole thing, make notes on it, and we're gonna come together in a meeting. And the expectation, you have to be clear as a facilitator, the expectation is you're coming into the room to provide any corrections or questions. And the way I facilitate that session is usually going through section by section, or in some cases, page by page to say, okay, we're on page one. Is there any feedback, any questions here? And all those stakeholders are in the room, or virtual room, and they have an opportunity to ask those questions. The anticipated outcome, is you have an approved set of requirements at the end of that session. It is something that can feel like a lot of pressure. Um, It is something that requires experience to be able to pull it off well, especially with really senior stakeholders. Um, But that structured walkthrough is really important to make sure everyone's on the same page and you have everyone's agreement.
0: Speaking of stakeholders, we just want to remind our listeners today that hey, we're live and we want to take your questions. So if you've got questions on missing requirements, if you've got stories to tell, share those in comments, uh, because we want to make sure that we answer your questions today. All right, so back to stakeholders. You know, I think one of the questions that is essential as you are interviewing different stakeholders, um, and it's always the last question I ask before I end an interview is who else do I need to talk to? Sometimes asking that question can identify somebody else that you may not have thought about, but that through the course of your interview or discussion with your stakeholder, they may say, oh, you know what? Johnny over in finance, they use this tool. Actually, you need to go talk to them. So all that's just put that in your back pocket and add that to your questions that you always ask, because that's a good way to uh, flush out any other any other stakeholders. Um, you know, I think one of the com- the other common things I, I see is that very often, we, we expect those stakeholders to know exactly what their problem is and exactly what their the need is to fill. And they don't. Uh, Many times they are focused on some aspect of business. Sometimes they have just moved on from I have this problem to what I need is a button that a tool that, you know, something like that. So many times they come to us with a solution already in mind. Um, So just a reminder. Don't just write down what they say. That's not a requirement. And I'm going to quote somebody else today, too. Yulia Kosarenko, in her book, um, The Business Analyst Mindset, she talks about requirements don't come from the business. They come from business analysis. And I think that is so true. Um, And so if you are only writing down what the business says, that's not a requirement. And you potentially will miss it because you've got to do that analysis piece of what they've said. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, for sure
0: um so all right so
1: requirements um another important part of requirements so let's say we've got all the requirements we think and all the stakeholders agree and we're partway through and we realize we're partway into the project and oops we missed something (laughs) Does that ever happen
0: that has happened and let let me tell you in my experience how this generally happens the tester is testing and they say, "Oh, I found a bug. It doesn't do this," and they send it back to the developer. And the developer says, "That's not a bug. Dun dun dun. It's a missed requirement." And then it gets kicked back to you. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's typically how that's happened to me.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there used to be a chart we used to use in in let's say the the old days, 20 years ago, about the cost of a missed requirement. Is it expense? exponentially higher the further through a project you get Mm -hmm. so if you catch it the day after you wrote the requirements well no one's really worked on it yet right but if you get to that testing stage and the developer's talking to the tester and that's when you find it you've potentially got to go back and do a whole lot of rework so it's it's really uh, the sooner you catch it the better Um, if you've got a gut feeling um, or red flag uh, pursue that feeling understand it. Make sure you do your due due diligence because if you can catch it early, then it's less expensive.
0: Here's here's my little um, way of knowing if I'm working in a really agile environment, lowercase a agile environment, or if I'm working in a more waterfall environment. In an agile environment, if we identify that, oops, we missed a requirement, then the next thing the team will do is make that Make whatever that issue is visible to everybody. We'll get it into the backlog. We'll prioritize it, talk about it, fix it. it it's not a big deal. If it's a waterfall environment, we potentially will get into a bit of a blame game. Um, you you know there there is I've been on, I, I've been part of these conversations where the developer just doesn't want another bug because they are that's a metric they're being measured by. And so, so naming it as a missed requirement, AKA not my problem, is an important part of that culture. Uh, and so then you've got to create a change request. Maybe that thing will get fixed. Yeah, maybe there will be something that comes out of this in a process improvement session where Susan didn't talk to so-and-so. Um, so uh, you know, I think how you handle it ultimately really, right? It's a missed requirement, things happen. Things just happen. Um, but I, I think that we can um, hopefully avoid the, the blame game that sometimes comes with that missed requirement, so. Yeah,
1: and you know, a missed requirement doesn't mean the end of the world. <clears throat> so right. um, as you mentioned, putting in a change request, um, part of a, a change request process, and for those of you who aren't familiar with that, a change request is essentially here's something new or something that needs to be modified. And what you do with that is you understand it, you assess it, and you understand the impacts of it. So, hey, if we don't get this, what's it going to do at the end of the day? Is it material? Is it not material? Is it something we can fix after we go to production? Um, So that whole assessment um, is really important to decide what you're going to do with that missed requirement. So um, it doesn't mean it's critical, but in some cases, it could be. Uh, You have to understand that with uh, the project leader you're working with.
0: Either way, having the conversation about it um, is sometimes the fact that it was missed may indicate that it just wasn't a priority initially. Um, And either it became a priority as you went on because change happens or it still isn't a priority. And in having that discussion around, okay, so what we missed it what does that do to the project is a really important one. So either way, I think the conversation should be around what what is the impact of having missed it? And do we need to do anything about it to, yeah. your, to your point?
1: Yeah. Um, so just a reminder, um, as Susan said earlier, we are live. So if you've got questions, answer them. If you're listening to this um, on a recorded session, uh, we've got podcasts that are out there. Um, you can certainly send us questions and we can add those questions to our backlog. Um, so feel free to do that as well.
0: Yep, live at IIBA.org. That's where you can send your questions and uh, we'll include them in a, in a future broadcast or podcast. Um, Susan, I've got
1: another technique that we can use to hopefully tease out any potentially missing requirements. One technique that I like to use, um, if you think about the toolbox of the 50 plus techniques we can use from business analysis, I love to use swim lane diagrams. And the reason that I like those is the rows represent the roles of who's doing what. And the, the boxes are the various tasks and decision points. What I find, the reason I use this tool so much is because if I've got someone, for example, from finance, um, from sales, uh, from operations together in a room, they'll have different perspectives of what we're looking at. And by getting those people in the room and saying, okay, let's go through and document the process, the light bulb starts to go on and finds, well, I didn't realize that happened. Um, Or, hey, you know what? We need a decision here. Or maybe this isn't the most efficient way to do it. Um, So I find that rather than just writing requirements, if you're actually able to go through some process work, it can be a great way to tease things out. And you'll find areas that, you know what? We need a category for reporting purposes. The category should have these values. Let's make sure we capture that upfront. Things like that.
0: You're touching on, I think, a whole... A whole uh category of uh of ways that you can ensure that you don't miss requirements and that is simply to visualize them I, you know i I, got, I have this corny saying uh that part of what we should be doing is as, as business analysis professionals is making requirements come alive and we do that not by writing you know 20 page requirement documents we do that through Carefully chosen models and prototypes and visualizations, ways that we can engage our stakeholders. And I'll give you a story, and I've told this story here before, but um, it's one of my all time favorite model stories. Um, we were, I, I came out of insurance and we were documenting requirements for how to determine the, deducti- the wind deductible you would pay if you lived in an eastern uh, eastern seaboard state. I'm, I'm here in the United States um, because it's very important because we get hurricanes and we get nor'easters and we get all kinds of wind <laughs> wind things that happen. And as we were going through what the requirements needed to be, they were very complex because it was not just what state, what wind program did you buy into but also had to do with um, state legislation and all kinds of things Hmm. and so we discovered that really the best way to capture these requirements were in a big decision tree well and when i say big i mean big because um you know what what we wanted to do when we got into our structured walkthrough is not to have little eight by you know, uh, 11 pieces of paper where we walked through, we wanted to make it real for them. So we printed it out on a plotter. We got the tallest guy in the office. He was six foot eight and he taped it up for us. We (laughs) gave our stakeholders markers and a step stool. And we said, go for it. Tell us where we did not get the rules right. And it was, you know, we had fun with it. It was, it was a little bit funny to them that Mm -hmm. we did this, but man, oh man, as soon as we showed them how to read each branch of that decision tree, they were like, oh yep, okay, we got it. And they marked the whole thing up. And you know Mm -hmm. what? That exercise was so successful when we reprinted it with the corrections, that became the way that they gave us um, their requirements every time they had to make changes to that and other kinds of rule-based projects. So, um, so you, but you know, you got to prepare your stakeholders. So if you're doing a prototype or if you're doing some other kind of visualization, take a couple of extra minutes to explain what it is that they're looking at um, and then have them, have them go through it, talk it out loud. I I think that's really the best way to help you avoid uh, missed requirements.
1: Yeah. Yeah i see we're starting to get some questions in here so let's start tackling them the first one is when do you do what do you do uh, when you have a hundred stakeholders for a project so that's a great question <laughs> and a, a big challenge um, so this gets into your business analysis planning if you've got hundred stakeholders how do you reach out and connect with those so You could sit down and you can interview each one. That's going to take a long time. You could have a team of business analysts that are doing this. Um, It could be that you use a survey as a tool um, to be able to reach out across so many different people. Um, There are advantages and disadvantages to each of those. Um, Surveys work well where you've got um, specific questions with specific answers, or you could have them open-ended. The ones where you've got People choosing ABC, uh, easy to tabulate. The ones that are open-ended, more difficult to tabulate. So there are different approaches that you can use on those. Um, It's not impossible to work on a project with 100 stakeholders. You just need to really think about what's the approach you're going to use and how much time you're going to invest in that to make sure you're getting the information from them that's important.
0: I have to wonder how many of those stakeholders represent unique perspectives that you have to consider so for example you might have 100 stakeholders but is it possible that 10 of them come from the same department so that maybe maybe there's some categorization that you need to do so that you can understand who are the ones who have similar needs or they come from a similar place and then perhaps what you do is have many mini sessions with them to understand what their needs are and then use that as an input for uh, for the work that you're doing. And then maybe you have like a stakeholder of stakeholders kind of session where the, you then pull representatives from each of those groups um, because you you can't, I, I would say it's going to be very difficult to get uh, anything meaningful from 100 people. So fi- figure out ways that you can group them. That would be my suggestion. This next question, does this session relate to any particular delivery methodology? Uh, no, because I, I, I think that missed requirements are just a problem, regardless of what kind of software development methodology that you use. I mean, there's probably missed requirements in life. <laughs>
1: there, so. are, there are. And, <laughs> and Jared, in, from our, our chapter director, um, he often refers to the grocery list as a requirements document. <laughs> Right, and I love that because it's so real, so practical. But if you think about it, you've got five recipes you want to work on that week, and you've got all the ingredients. You forgot to put an ingredient on the list; it's a missed requirement. You know, you're working up your great Italian meal, and you forgot the fresh basil. Missed requirement.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, And that that is a a great way to think about it. So no, but I do think that how. How your team chooses to remedy that, that could be dictated a little bit by a software methodology if you're if it's a software project, or um, if you are just using more agile principles. So if you are an organization that is uh, nimble, flexible, um, then I think that there's ways that you might approach that with things like courage and humility and self-directedness. But no, I, I don't think there's any particular methodology. Um
1: yeah, and I think that question might have come from the way I was describing, you know, having a 20, 30 page requirement document it mm-hmm. would obviously be waterfall planned approach related. Yep. Um, in an agile space, you might have a missed requirement too. But I, I think you discussed that um, as well as, you know, what do we do with this? Can we put it off to another release? Is this something we need mm-hmm. to deal with now? So it's it's the same type of question, just a different duration and impact in those different approaches.
0: And I think the visualizations piece, so using models or prototypes, I think they span any kind of software development life cycle. In fact, um, I think the more that you can bring that into a waterfall environment, um, the better, because you can help them to not just imagine what it's going to look like, but you can show them. I mean, we, you and I have also t- talked about show, don't tell. Um yeah. all- also, Rylan Layton recently did a series of webinars for us about bringing agile practices into waterfall environments. And that's really what he was talking about. Could you as a business analyst say, hey, you know, I've got this idea. I was thinking maybe this time, instead of doing a requirements document, I might bring a decision tree where we can look through all of the business rules and maybe use that as the way that we talk about them, right? You, yeah. you don't have to use those agile words, but you can bring in the practices into waterfall and and then that way you don't trigger people (laughs) um all right so our next question what are the best requirement gathering techniques okay this could actually be maybe an entire uh conversation on its own so maybe we narrow this a little bit um are there techniques that we could use to um to you know eliminate to reduce the number of Uh, missed requirements? I think we've talked about some already, but are there others?
1: There are, but I think one of the things in the business analysis space is that context is really important in everything that we do. So for the organization that we work in, IIVA, the context of what we do and how we do it will partly dictate the requirements approaches I'm going to use. Whereas my previous employer, I was working in a real estate firm, Um, was a different approach than my previous employer that was um, a financial services company. So I think there is no way to answer what's the best requirements gathering technique. You really have to understand the context of the organization, the stakeholders, the industry that you're working in to understand what's going to work best for you. And, And that actually gets into the next question as well. Someone asked, why are you still developing software and a waterfall methodology. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I've heard this debate in in various forums, you know, waterfall waterfall versus agile and and what's better. And what's come out of that from my observation is both have their uses, but there are a number of organizations doing both hybrid. And, And we've seen this in survey results as well some people doing one, some people doing the other, but it seems more and more people are doing hybrid. And the reason that is, is because um, there are some situations, again, this is about context. There are some situations where you need to do the planning up front before you do the work um, in a waterfall space. There are other environments where time to market agility is really, really important. And therefore an agile methodology is the best for that. Um, So, if you have heard one is better than the other, I would suggest you take a different approach than that and say, what's the right tool for the job I'm using. It's like having a wrench in one hand and a hammer in the other. And what you've got in front of you is a nut. Which one are you going to use? Right.
0: I, I do think that we have this negative connotation of waterfall and, and I, I, I think that there are some organizations who use Agile words. Well, we do stand-ups, and we have user stories, and we do all of these things. But if you really look at it, right, because Agile is not about the practices. It's really supposed to be about the principles of Agile. If you really look at the culture, and if you really look at the way that they're getting the work done, it's waterfall. And to me, waterfall environments have, um, at their core, a command and control Um, element to them, meaning even though I'm going to allow my team to do things time boxed and we're going to do all of these practices in the end, I am still asking you to meet metrics. I still want to see requirement sign-offs that do, that happen a certain way because, you know, it's, it's a, there's a lot of culture change that goes with Agile. So, um, so I don't know that every Agile uh, shop is in fact really Agile. But I, I do wanna say one thing, cause I also, I read this in, in a different way, which is that we think that having a requirement specification means that we're waterfall. That potentially we think doing the work to have the interviews, to pull together requirements is waterfall, and it is not. In fact, I would challenge the, the BAs to think about, we still have to have requirements, uh, I- even if we are doing Agile software development, Agile software development is about um, is about really the development team. It it's not really about the way that we do our requirements. User stories are not requirements; they're they're placeholders for conversations. Somebody still has to put some analysis into exactly what how are we going to build this. Um, so that's just that's just my two cents. You know, we always I always got something to say about agile. So. <laughs> Anywho, all right, enough enough of that.
1: The next one here is, uh, how do you ensure you don't get missed requirements? So we've, we've talked a little bit about that, different techniques you can use. Um, and I would say, regardless of how long you've done business analysis, you're likely going to have a missed requirement somewhere. Um, we're dealing in a business of humans, um, human interaction, human communication. Um, your goal is to get to 99.9%. Um, but you're going to have it. So some of the techniques we talked about a little bit earlier, um, I think will help in terms of making sure you've got everyone on the same page. Things are fully understood. And, and that is, um, uh, there are so many things behind this question about, you know, how your documentation is utilized by the teams that that are providing solutions, right? How is it absorbed? How is it understood? How do you work with them? Uh, so there's, there's a lot there.
0: The technique alone is not going to ensure that you don't miss requirement. So it, it is about the technique. It's about finding the right technique for what it is you're trying to do, but this is a relationship business. So you've got to bring some serious essential skills to the work that you do. Um, and and I don't just mean like communication. There's a little bit of emotional intelligence you really need, and active listening. You really have to listen to what people are saying. They are not telling you what the requirements are. You need to be listening for certain words or ways that they're telling you those words, so that you can say, "Hmm, uh, sounds like that might be a pain point for you. Can you tell me more about that?" That potentially could be a requirement that you would have missed because they they aren't thinking about telling you. That so um, so essential skills um, communication facilitation diving deeply of knowing your own biases is also important um, I think is what is what gets you to uh, hopefully avoiding missed requirements Yeah yeah for sure Um, How to avoid conflicts between requirements You know I often say there's missed requirements there's wrong requirements and there's conflicting requirements It's like the it's like the triumvirate of bad requirements. Uh, So how do you avoid them? I feel like this is uh, potentially taking us down. We've had a conversation in a previous um, broadcast about requirements traceability. That could be one way.
1: It could be. Yeah. And when I think of conflicting requirements or or conflicts between the requirements, um, I think this is more likely to happen on larger initiatives i don't know what your thoughts on this but um for example i led a team of five bas on one project Uh, we were touching a hundred different systems and there because you've got so much breadth it's difficult for one person to get their mind wrapped around the whole thing um so there you could end up having conflicting requirements but i think the the more frequent potentially for our audience would be you've got two stakeholders that are asking for different things Um, And that requires some tactful conversation. Um, So if you've got two people that are butting heads on a specific requirement, you do need to come to a conclusion. Um, So there are ways that you can bring those people together and say, well, why is this important? Tell me more. You dig deeper, you peel back layers of the onion, use that analogy to understand the root cause, to hopefully get them to a common understanding. Um, Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. And when that doesn't work, That's when you need to escalate to the senior management to say, here are the scenarios, here are the pros and cons, lay that out for them through the analysis and give it to the leadership to make the decision. Um, Because ultimately you need a decision. Yeah. Um, So that's where you need to have the stakeholders and leadership involved in the project.
0: And if you've got a good sponsor or a good and or a good project manager, this is where you can call them in as your allies to help you, because potentially you are getting into some, you know, um, political situations. Change is hard in an organization. uh, First, because, you know, on the technical side, you got a lot of stuff to do. But on the people side, it can it can trigger emotions that are really outside of just the requirements. And so sometimes you got to call in your your allies if you are finding you've got conflicts between stakeholders. So that's a great point. Yeah, um, sure. This is a, a good next question. Is it the BA's job to identify every possible unhappy path or is it the developer's responsibility to anticipate those based on what they're building?
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah. Um, well, let me say, I, I might say it is, um, it depends. <laughs> And maybe it's both, actually. Maybe it's both. You know, there's the requirements that we're pulling together to uh, identify the solution, but then there's things that come up as the solution is being developed. I'm, If I am giving input, and by the way, I think this touches on another technique that you could use, which is um, use cases, use case diagramming. That could be a great tool to help you identify different paths, different cases, different personas that you've got to factor in. Um, and, and potentially there's, uh, and so that might might help you I don't know that you can know everything, um, especially on complex projects. So I don't know. What do you think?
1: Yeah, and I think uh, that's a really good point. Um, not that you can know everything, but you might not be able to specify. So you've got business requirements and then you can go down to solution requirements. But if you don't know how the developer is developing a solution, you might not know the scenarios that come up in testing. Yeah. Um, ideally, what you're looking for is to articulate the business need in enough detail that a solution can be developed to meet it. Um, so there might be some unhappy path that you see when, once the solution has been developed, but hopefully that's minor. The key thing is that you've got those business objectives, those business needs, um, being filtered through to the solution provider, so that they're they're satisfying those needs. So I, I, in in looking at this question again, no, I don't think the business analyst needs to uncover all of the unhappy paths, but you need to make sure you've got the critical requirements that are satisfying the business need.
0: And, and also I have seen use case diagramming just go bananas um, where they really try to cover every single base. You really just wanna focus on the things that are priorities. So possibly every single alternate path, which is the other, I guess the, the, the standard name for unhappy path, um, it isn't worth anybody's time. So yes. there's that as well. So I think it is essential for the BA for what they're responsible for to identify the most important happy path and alternate paths, but not everyone is necessary. Um,
1: yeah, and a, a great term for that, if you haven't heard this before, is analysis paralysis. <laughs> do so much analysis work that you're not actually getting any work done. Um, yeah. So there is such a thing as too much analysis.
0: That That is true. Um so this next one, how to politically correct the missed requirements? You know, if if you are from an environment where there is a bit of a blame game around a missed requirement, or it was a significant enough requirement that it kind of shuts things down, again, call in your allies. Right? The BA doesn't. I, I I've I know it can sometimes feel like you're in the hot seat, but I think bringing in the project manager as soon as you know that that's happening if you come from a a waterfall environment your scrum master if you're coming from or, or in product owner if you're coming from an agile environment get them to start discussing impacts priorities um changes you will possibly need some kind of change uh, process, get that going as soon as possible, right? We're, we're only going to extend the misery if we just let it hang out there, deal with it directly and quickly is what I would say.
1: Yeah, and I read a little bit into this as well. Um, so politically correct uh, way of, of dealing with a missed requirement could be a couple of different things. It could be the organization structure. Um, how you go about to the right level to identify this? It could be people protecting the reputation, and that you know we've got a late project, we don't want to raise this right now, uh, that type of thing. It could also be somewhat cultural. So there are some cultures um, where uh, mistakes are really looked upon badly. Um, so it's it, it it could be a cultural element as well. I think you again context <laughs> is really important in how you're yeah. doing your work, right? <laughs>
0: Yeah. Uh, so always keep that in mind. Um, so here's another one. Uh, how do you deal with requirement conflicts or 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 differing priority of uh, requirements? And I think we've touched on this. I don't know if you wanna if you wanna add anything to that one.
1: Yeah. Um, maybe just add to the priority piece. Um, it is really important to make sure you've got priorities on your requirements because the more, most important ones are where the focus is, the least important ones are where you can cut scope if you really need to. Um, if you've got two people that are at opposite ends of that spectrum, this one's high for me, this one's low for me, how I typically deal with that is set that aside as we're going through and prioritizing everything. And then we will look at a balance of, you know if 80% of these are high, hey, we need to rebalance these. In that rebalancing exercise, I typically find people are more receptive to changing their opinions and thoughts because we're going through that. So um, that's a technique that I use in that specific scenario where you've got people prioritizing things.
0: And this is a great, I think this is a great technique to employ, whether you're working in an agile environment or waterfall, um, you, uh, because um, you know as you are delivering features, priorities change. And so if you are finding that it possibly the priorities are changing because you have delivered something that has now moved the needle. So now that thing that you've just uh, added now, the thing behind it isn't so important, or maybe now the thing is more important than ever. Mm -hmm. Um, So it, is good regardless of what kind of environment you're working on. And I like that you, you call that a rebalancing technique. I, I think that's a good way, again, to avoid those agile words, um, but to talk about it uh, w- with what it is. We just want to rebalance the load, make sure we're working on the most important things. Yeah. Um, oh, oh, I feel like this one might be for me. Do you see requirement documents separate from user stories? Oh, yeah, I do. Oh, yeah. I do. Um, user stories. And, and so I'll give you the, you know, the not JIRA answer. Um, I just have, a, I have kind of a, a knot in my stomach when I hear about um, putting requirement specifications um, like into the tool itself. Um, because connecting them to the user story, the requirement management deep geek in me thinks, how will we ever reuse that? How will I ever help somebody on the support team to know what we built so they can support it or train somebody to use it. Um, that doesn't mean you can't um, add them in there. You can't link them in there. But I do think you still have to have some sort of requirement specification because stories are not intended to specify how you'll you'll change configurations. So there you go. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll probably start some kind of controversy in our (laughs) in our world but hey um we've um tomette kirk actually has a a great webinar in our webinar archive on exactly uh, this topic she talks about this a lot so if you're a member check out our webinar archive writing effective user stories she does a fantastic job uh, and she answers this question specifically let's see do you want to take one more i know we are getting yeah, um, we
1: are running out of time. Oh here. my
0: gosh, so, I I just looked at the clock. We're let's, we're let's just
1: pick one here. Um the last one here No, uh it's not going to work. Have you avoid conflicts between the requirements? I think we handled that one, right?
0: We did handle that one. Okay, so here, let's Here, we'll take this one. What if we have all the requirements already mentioned and documented, and the client still wants to have an agile methodology to handle the project? Okay, this is a little bit of a strange question. because You've
1: got the requirements all up front, and now they want to use an agile methodology to deliver it?
0: I think that's fine. Can I tell you, this yeah. is, this I think describes a hybrid environment, quite honestly. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what that is, where we have defined everything up front and it's okay. It's, for those of you that think that waterfall is terrible, it's going to be okay. And the client wants to have an agile. So what I hear here is they want to deliver what's the requirements in that, that upfront document. They want to deliver it in time boxed iterations. Okay, great you can do that. Um, You know, you may have to work through the requirement document so that you can split things out into workable chunks. That's okay. But this tells me, and honestly, if you have a client that says, I'd like for you to deliver um, increments of value to me, I'd say high five. Well, let's get on that right now. Um, I think that is great. And again, it's about the agile methodology is about development. It's about the delivery of that. Um, And then I think as a BA, you can help with breaking that out into chunks, prioritizing things, rebalancing as needed, supporting the development team. Like You still have a role in that. So I think that's great.
1: I'll tell you my opinion on one methodology I think is horrible. (laughs) In the 90s, I was a Lotus Notes software developer. (laughs) We did a project where we had four developers and four business people and we tried joint application development, so we oh, paired goodness. up each business person with a developer, and each piece of code and screen got built, and we were moving along really, really fast. Until we had to take those four pieces and combine them together and make them uniform, and um, I tell you, it, it was a disaster. Tons of rework, but you know the thing that was really missing from that whole project: requirements.
0: Oh. Yeah. requirements. (laughs) Well, you, and you intentionally miss them entirely, right? Well, we're working together. Why do we need to write anything down? By the way, that is a common Agile myth. We don't write anything down in Agile. And that's why I say you still need requirements even in um, Agile delivered projects. So um, great example. I remember those days, by the way. (laughs) Um, Alrighty. Well, so let's wrap it up again. Oh gosh, great questions. Really great questions for today. Um, so we're getting back together two weeks. That is September 14th at 1030. And we're going to have a guest. I'm going to let you you talk about our guest that we're going to have in, on that uh, episode.
1: Yeah, so we have uh, Angelo who's going to be joining us. Um, he has a YouTube channel and he's been putting out some short videos. So we thought we'd have him on as a guest. Um, he has uh, a master's in UX design. So we're going to chat with him and, and understand uh, sort of his uh, background of UX design and, and how that will help us in the business analysis field. Um, his YouTube channel is about business analysis. Uh, so we'll chat a little bit about that. Um, I know a little bit about the YouTube space. So we're going to have fun with that. Um, so really looking forward to having Angelo with us as a guest on our next session.
0: Yeah, I'm looking for it too. UX is uh, is something that I've dabbled in. So UX design for business analysts, that's going to be the topic of our next broadcast. We're going to be here. We want your questions. So join us. We'll talk with you soon. This is the end of our live session. But if you've got questions, you can send us an email at live at iiba.org or leave us a voice message and we'll answer your question at one of our upcoming broadcasts. Join us.